0: Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. I pray this week's sermon will guide you into a deeper understanding of the greatest news in the entire world, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We value the local church at Central Baptist. So while we are thrilled that you are streaming this sermon, we want to make sure that this never replaces your commitment to the local body of believers. If you are in the Maysville area, I am personally inviting you to be a guest at one of our weekly services. Come and join us. I promise you will love it. We are a church committed to loving God, loving each other, and loving our world. So if God is using this to impact your life, please consider partnering with us in spreading the message of Jesus to everyone on the earth. I hope this message helps fix your eyes on Jesus and drives you deeper into the gospel. Our message this morning is kicking off our series in uh, who is your one? And it's on earth, as it is in heaven. Looking at Matthew chapter four. If you have a Bible, go ahead and uh, turn to Matthew chapter four. As we get started this morning, I want to uh, kind of play a little little game with you. All right, our, our teachers have been wearing off on me, but no, no Plato, we're cutting or any any of that kind of stuff. But but we're going to play a, a, a word association game. So I'm going to say a word. And I want you in your mind to begin to think what, who, what kind of picture comes to, to your mind. All right, might we'll start out with this, uh, let's just say a, a Bernie Sanders supporter. All right, nope, don't say it out loud. All right, just in your mind, okay? All right. What about a Donald Trump supporter? What about, um, let's say, a, uh, a fitness nut? I mean, you always know the fitness nut because you don't even have to look at them because they're going to tell you that they're a fitness nut before you even get them right. Um, let's say a, a Kentucky basketball fan or football fan. What about a, a Louisville fan? I can see the faces. I, yeah, yeah. huh. All right, now I want you to, to think what comes to your mind when I mention the word Christian. Christian, odds are that, that you associate that word with certain characteristics as, as well. Some may be positive. Some may be, be negative. You know, the, the culture itself ha- has a picture of what a Christian is. In fact, in our Bible study, Gospel Above All, a few Sunday nights ago, we, we, we kind of started with that question, right? Is if you were just to meet an ordinary person on the street. And you were to say, what do you think of when you think of a Christian? We, we talked, and to be honest, a lot of the, the comments that we had were, were negative. Right? And I had to ask, All right, do we have any positive views of what a, what a Christian might, might be? Did you know that the, the first followers of, of Jesus didn't even call themselves Christians? In fact, we we saw it in our series in Acts just a few chapters ago, in Acts chapter 11, that that was the first time that that the word Christian was used. And it was not used in a positive way. It was used as a derogatory term by people outside of of the faith. We see in Acts chapter 11 verse 26 that, that the first Christians were known not as Christians, but known as Disciples. See, the word Christian is only used three times in the entire Bible. Only three times. Now, the word disciple is used 281 times. You know, disciple, the word disciple is, is a far more accurate and compelling description of what it means to follow Jesus. So, my goal this morning, and in our message is is to kind of clear up the picture because if we were to ask many of of us, even here in church, people that have spent their entire lives in church, what is a Christian? We're probably going to get as many different answers as there are people in this room. But the word disciple tends to bring a little more clarity to that with which we are called to do and who we are to be. We're going to see that the concept of of disciple exposes the fact that many who claim to be Christians may not actually be disciples of, of Jesus. So let's look at our passage here, Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. We read, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, mean Jesus, saw two brothers Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And he said to them, "Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men." Immediately they left their nets and followed him, and going on from there he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. I want to, to kind of look at some historical background as to what it means for one to, to be a disciple i don 't know about you I, I've read this passage many times. I was taught it as a kid growing up in in Sunday school and even in vacation Bible school and to think about it even as an adult and, and the picture that comes to mind when I've heard this story of Jesus calling calling the first disciples is 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 this you got you know Jesus and with his, his long flowing hair he kind of got the Fabio look going on the white robe it's just fun he's just walking down the down the sand and you got the, the sea over here on the right and and you, you see these guys are just out there on the banks with their with their fishing poles out fishing trying to catch some, some fish and then Jesus goes and says hey hey you guys you all come and, come and follow me now, if we were to put that into, into today's terms, could you imagine that we had some young guys, and these were, these were young, young, young men, and a guy just pulling up in a, in a van, driving down. He has some long hippie hair, and he's driving down, and they're cruising in his van. I will say a, you know, those nice Volkswagen vans. And, uh, and he comes up to just two, two random guys or four random strangers and says, Hey, you guys, why don't you all, all come and, and hop in my van and, and come along with me? Now, I don't know what you were taught, but I was taught stranger danger, right? And you never get into a van with a complete stranger, right? But when we understand the, the context of what Jesus is calling these men to follow him, it, it makes so much more sense. See, in the, in the biblical times, the times of, of, of Jesus, all Hebrew boys Went to, went to school and it was called Torah school at the age of, of five years old. All Hebrew boys. So Riley is, is five. She just starting kindergarten, right? But uh, unlike her in our modern education system, Hebrew boys would go to Torah school. Now, the word Torah gets its name from the books of of the Hebrew Bible, which is the Old Testament. The Torah is the first five books of the Bible Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They are the books of law. And so, for five years, these young boys would come and they would study the Torah. But they would begin by by having an initiation ceremony where their families would come and they would join and and all of the religious rulers would would be there. And what the rabbi would, would do is he would take a drop of honey onto his finger and he would dab that honey onto the tongue of each of these young boys. Now for most of these boys, they grew up in poverty and it's likely that this was the first time that these boys ever associate or ever had sweets. Now, I don't bet you, any of y'all have sweet tooth, right? You, you crave sweetness, right? It is something you get to the point where you're like, I just got to, I got to have that. Well, these boys, this is the first time that they've had anything sweet, sweet as, as honey. And So what they do is they associate that sweetness with the word of God. So for five years, they enter into study of the Torah. They learn the Torah forwards and backwards. All right, they know the Torah. And then by the age of 10, after these boys have studied and studied, the very best of the students all right, were, got to, to move on. There was a, a cut was made. Right, I don't know, we don't know exactly how many that they 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 took, but we know that only the best of the best got to move on to the next stage in, in the Hebrew school. So those boys who were good enough continued in their studies and got to, and they studied the rest of what we would call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. But those that weren't quite good enough, they had to, they had to go back home. And they started an apprenticeship working with with their family, learning the family trade. Now those boys that were were good enough to stay in school, by the age of 17, all right. again, another cut was made. And the best of the best of that group wanted to make a a career out of being a religious leader and continue their religious studies, what they would would do is, is you had to go out and find a rabbi that you admired, that you wanted to study under, and you had to go and and apply to become one of his disciples. Now, the Hebrew word for disciple is talmidim. You wanted to be one of their talmidim. And how you would do this is the rabbis would be be sitting around, and and you as the wannabe disciple, wannabe talmidim, would go, and you you would sit at the feet of the rabbi, Now, just because you sat at the feet of that rabbi doesn't mean that he is going to to choose you because it wasn't automatic that that you were in the club. He would begin to examine you, pepper you question after question after question after question. Depending on how you answered, what he saw in you, he may choose you, you may, may not. And so these questions and these tests, they were to see whether or not this talmidum, wannabe was worthy to be a disciple of, of this rabbi. Now the pool for, for these rabbis was very small. There was a lot of applicants. So the rabbis could be very selective in who they chose. They, they, they chose only the smartest, the most talented boys to be to be their disciples, only those that they thought had the most potential. And another reason that that they were selective in in how they chose the disciples is because they weren't just choosing somebody to study under them, to to know what they know, to, to, to teach them. No, they were picking somebody that they believed that would become just like them in every way. So the disciple began to walk in the manner of the rabbi. They would would have the same mannerisms as the rabbi. My guess is, is that they would begin to like the same foods that their rabbi had, wear the same clothing that the rabbi wore. You know what? If he ate with his right hand, they'd be eating with the right. If he ate with his left, they'd be eating with the left. They mimicked their rabbi in every way. And so they didn't just Pick the guys that had the most brain smarts, but they picked those that were worthy to become like the rabbi. See, for for several years, these Talmudim, these disciples, these young disciples, they would follow their rabbis. They would go everywhere. With them. They didn't just go to school and leave. No, they followed the rabbi, and the rabbi would impart everything that he knew. He would pour out his soul to these to these young disciples. Because the goal of the disciple wasn't to just have a bunch of knowledge. It wasn't just to to know the Bible. It was to be like their rabbi. So if you were a good Talmudim, if you were a good disciple, then anybody that saw you could tell which rabbi you studied under because you imitated them. You were just like them. So when we, now that we now know the, the historical context of, of what a Hebrew disciple was and how they, they interacted with a, with a rabbi, this passage here in Matthew chapter 4 begins to make more, more sense. And we're going to see five different points that we see in how Jesus called his Talmud. First, we see that Jesus doesn't choose the best, but he chooses the willing. He doesn't choose the best, he chooses the willing. Look here in verse 18, He says, While walking the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, And what are they doing? They are fishing. So what does that tell us? That they're fishing. Well, it tells us they didn't make the cut. They weren't good enough to be a Talmudim, a disciple of a Hebrew rabbi. And so Jesus comes along, this this new rabbi, he was the king of all rabbis, right? And, And he comes and and he comes to, to them. See, Jesus doesn't choose the best. He chooses the willing. And so, Simon, Peter, and, and Andrew, it's not that they were, just weren't the best. I mean, These guys didn't make the first cut. They're back home fishing. They're making a living learning from their father. Right, these guys are the, the B team. They didn't make the cut in the world's eyes. Nobody would pick them to become a religious leader. They weren't the best of the best. Let that that sink in here this morning. Because I I, I think that that, that provides such great hope for people like me and for people like like you. Is that when Jesus chose his squad to change the world forever. He chose the B team. Have you ever been cut from anything? I I don't even have enough hands to count the times that I've been, been cut from something. So when he chose this B team here, of course they wanted to follow him because the rabbi had chosen them. Guys without much potential or personal power, odds are they didn't come from a very well noble family, and he chose them to come and follow him, to become like him, to know God like he knew God, to know what he knew and to do what he did and to be filled with his power. Look here what Pastor John MacArthur says about this. He said, God skipped all the wise of the day. The great scholars were in Egypt. The great library was in Alexandria. The great philosophers we're in Athens. the powerful were in Rome. He passed over Herodias, the historian and Socrates, the great thinker and Julius Caesar. He chose men so ordinary. It was comical. no rabbis, no teachers, no religious experts. Jesus chose the B-team. Because his work would not come from their abilities. Don't miss this. Jesus chose them because he wasn't dependent upon their abilities, how smart they were, how good they were, how well they could connect with other people. No, he chose them because what he could do through them. I mean, to be honest, people with with a lot of talent and ability, they would only get in the way. Because they would never learn to lean on his power. See, Jesus taught that his power in the weakest vessel was infinitely greater than the greatest talent without him. You See, God, God wants to use you in your family, at your workplace. You know, some of us are, are thinking, you know what, if, if Jesus was married to my spouse, man, think how great that would be. I mean, the, the Son of God was, everything would be, would be perfect. You know what, if, if Jesus was in my place at my, my workplace, I'd never mess up, right? Right? Eddie, I'd be walking up the corporate ladder because everything would be just perfect. I would connect with people. I would, I would do the job no, like nobody else could. And how you parent? I think if only Jesus was here to, to parent my kids, whew, man, I'd never mess up. And they would learn everything that they need to learn. They wouldn't be to struggle with a lot of the struggles that we see in the world. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus is is not married to your spouse. He's not the parent of your kids. He's not working at your place of work. No, God instead chooses to use you to do so with his power. It's even greater than that. So what we have to do is we have got to stop making excuses that we're not able to do it. I'm not able to be the best spouse I can because, you know, I just can't do it. I can't get over my faults. Or, you know, I can't be the best parent that, that God has called me to be because it's just too hard and I fail too much. Or, you know what, hey, man, I cannot be the best at my job because there are far more people out there that are just better than I am and, you know what, I, I just got to, to realize the limits that I have. No, God, God doesn't need your ability. He doesn't need your goodness. No, He requires only your availability. You know, as often it's said, right, it's, He doesn't call the equipped, He does what? He equips the called So the question I have for you this morning, you too, choir, sorry, sometimes I forget y'all, y'all are back there here, is have you made yourself available to him? Have you made yourself available to him? Secondly, we see that, that he chose us, not we him. He chose us, not we him. Look what Jesus said. He said to them, follow me. And remember, the, the normal way all of this went down is that, that, that the disciples the, the, that were applying the Talmudim, they would, they would go and they would sit down at the feet of, of the rabbi. You had to be the best of the best. You had to apply. And most didn't make it. Most were not good enough. And only then, only then as you're sitting at the feet of this rabbi, if he liked what he saw in you, then if you were lucky enough, he would... He would choose, choose you. Now, this selection here gave them a lot of great confidence. I mean, could you imagine the ego that some of these uh, uh, the religious, uh, you know, understudies had as they're studying with the rabbi? Can you imagine if they saw Simon Peter or John, uh, you know, out on the out on the boat as they're they're walking with the rabbi? like, hey, look at me, look at me. You you want to be here, right? But you're not good enough. I mean, think of the confidence that it gave these young Talmudim. You know, when they, when they were struggling, maybe when it got hard. Anybody ever been in a place where things are hard? Maybe in school, like, I don't know how I'm going to be able to get through this. Or in work. It's like, dude, it is just so hard. I don't even know if I can make it through the day. Again, in In parenting. Nothing humbles you like being a parent. I'm confident. that Nothing humbles you like being a parent. It's, you know, you you, you try to do everything the best that you can, and then you realize, dude, I really messed up today. But when those Talmudim were struggling, they could think back, you know what? That rabbi, he believed in me. And he chose me. But Jesus, he starts the process way back further. Because these guys didn't come and sit at his feet. They didn't seek Jesus out, did they? No, Jesus is the one that came for them. Even when they weren't looking for him. Look here, John chapter 15, verse 16. We read this, you did not choose me. This is Jesus speaking. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in the, the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Jesus chose you to be his disciple. So when things get tough and you're thinking about just giving up, It's like, I can't do it anymore. Remember that Jesus chose you. He chose you. Thirdly, we see that our primary calling is to be with Him. Our primary calling is to be with with Him. See, I think this this is a point that many of us struggle, and especially in, in America, and I know I, I, I struggle it in, in my own trying to live out being a, being a Christian. It's because we're so much associated with our identity and as with what we do, All right? So we think that, you know, to be a, be a teacher, you have to, to study, and you have to go to college, and you have to have the, the teacher certificate, right? And now, and then that gives you the ability to go into the classroom and to, and to teach. Your identity as a teacher is because you do what? You, you teach. So if you quit teaching, well, you could say I used to be a teacher, but I'm not currently, currently teaching. Our identity is, is so much associated with with what we do, and we, we begin to tie that in with how we live as, as a Christian. And so I, I think the church gets, gets this kind of mixed up sometimes, and I think it's, it's uh, not a good thing in our church, so that we so much associate with our identity as a Christian with what we do for Jesus. Now don't get me wrong, we do things for Jesus here. So we begin to say that to be a good Christian, you need to serve in the church, and yes, that's true. To be a good Christian, you need to share the gospel. Absolutely, we're going to get to that. To be a good Christian, you need to do all of these these things. And and yes, that is true, but that is a result of our identity in Christ, not the source. So our primary calling is to be with, with Him. So how about you? I like kind of structure and even knowing certain rules you know in school i those classes i did best in is when i got the syllabus at the beginning of the of the year and i could see all of the assignments listed out everything you need to read this is when this is due this is when this is due and and so you you know everything that you have to do right because you can prepare for it honestly with with uh, you know structure you tend to be in control because I can, I know that if this is due at certain date, I've got this much time, and I can make these adjustments to get it done. Those classes that I struggled in is when the teacher came in and said, "Well, you know what? I don't know what's going on this day, and you know it, it's just an unorganized class." And, and I don't know if you're if you're like me if you ever struggle with that. But but the call to us as as talmidim as disciples is is not to to follow the syllabus that that Jesus has already given us. No, it's to, it's to come and to, to be with him. See, Jesus' primary call on these disciples was not to do something. It was to become like him. Because that's what a Talmudim did with their rabbi. And to become like him, what do you have to do? You, you have to know him. And to know him, you have got to, you've got to know his word. For God has revealed himself to us through the word of God. And friends, we live in a day and time where biblical illiteracy is at an all-time high. And sadly, it's only getting worse. I mean, I remember in, in, in seminary, in one of my, my, my classes, our professor had an exam, and there was only two things he asked to do in this exam. It was to list the 66 books of the Bible in order, right, and spell it all correctly, and to be able to list the Ten Commandments. Now, we would consider that to be pretty elementary types of, uh, of work. I and mean, It doesn't take a, you know, a rocket scientist to be able to figure this out. But he said, the reason I started creating an exam like this is because I saw time and time again men coming to my class and they could not, they didn't know the books of the Bible. They didn't know the Ten Commandments. And he said, and here we are training these guys to, to go out and to be pastors, to teach other people, to become missionaries, to travel the world, and and they don't even know the books of, of the Bible. In order to be with, with him, we've got to know him, and we can only well, we know him through His word. Here at Central, we've got many different outlets for you to do that. I mean, first and foremost is Sunday morning. Worship service, I make a promise to you, every Sunday I will do within, not in my power, but in the power of the Spirit, is to preach faithfully God's Word week in and week out. You know, I, for, for, for millennia, the, 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 the importance of the Sunday morning worship service has just been, I mean, it, it's always been the staple of, of Christianity but for some reason, over the last several decades now, we we've come in is that you know what to be a Christian? I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. You know, it's just about between me and me and God. And think of the arrogance of that statement. That Christians, for thousands of years, have placed the primacy week in and week out of coming to worship, and all of a sudden, we know better than all of them. To know God, we got to know His Word. You can do that through through the Sunday morning worship service. Sunday school. I can't uh, emphasize the importance of Sunday school enough. I mean, to sit down Sunday after Sunday to gather with with your other people to, to, to study God's Word together. Eddie, you will learn God's Word if you spend time in Sunday school. We've got other studies. I mean, Sunday night, Wednesday night prayer meeting. If you struggle your prayer life, come to prayer meet on Wednesday. We teach on prayer. All right, we've got all kinds of studies. I mean, if you miss a Sunday, you can go back and and, and watch my sermons. They're on Facebook, and uh, you know you can if you know if you drive, you can listen to them on podcasts. We've got the audio there, and if you're not on anything, come see me. I will make you a DVD or a CD if you remember what a CD is, and that way you can you can listen to God's word. You can hear His word every Thursday night. I do a Bible study on Facebook. Again, if you're not on Facebook, let me know. I will get it to you. Where I am going week by week, we're going through the entire Bible. Right now, we're beginning the prophets. Honestly, we're studying things that, growing up as a kid, I never studied. But in order to know God, we must know Him. And it's not just about kind of knowing it in our head, knowing some facts and some dates and that kind of thing. It's, It's you have to get his word inside of you until it dominates all of your thinking and your behavior. Because that's what a Talmudim does. He doesn't just come to know it so he can get the checklist and say, man, I've got perfect attendance this year. And hear me, hear me, I'm not talking legalism here. All right? there, there's nothing that makes you you know, better than anybody else by, by weekend, but it, it's a heart issue. It's what do you desire? And sadly, we desire many more things than the sweetness of God's Word. So we have to get His Word inside of us until it dominates all of our thinking. When you're at work, you're talking as Jesus would talk. When you're out in recreation, you're going to talk as Jesus to your homes. Instead of tearing each other down, you're going to talk and build each other up as Jesus did. Everything that you do, people can look at you and say, oh, you must be one of His disciples. You can't do that unless you know him and know him well. Fourthly, to follow him, we have to leave it all. To follow him, we have to leave it all. Look here at verse 22. It says, immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Now look what they left. They left the boat and their father. And they followed him. Now, why do we identify these two things here? That's because these are usually the two most significant things in our lives, right? The boat would symbolize our our career, right? It's the way that we take care of ourselves and our family, particularly our father, our most significant relationships. Now, let me be clear, for most of us, I'm not call, telling you and God's not calling you to to, to, to leave your job and, and, and walk away now for me he did. I left my my career you know a, a years ago and left my home and we've moved around several times because that is what God has called me and my family to do. He may not be calling you that, but he may maybe he's calling you to to go into the ministry or to to leave the comforts of this country to take the gospel to to those who have yet to hear it, but what I'm saying here is that to to follow Jesus, to be his disciple, to be his Talmudim, he has to take precedence over your career and over your most significant relationships. Now, you, most of you, are, you're not going to lose your parents, all right, or or change your careers, but but maybe God is. It's called a real uh, you know, just kinda of convicting you is that, you know what, I've I've put my family over, over my relationship with Christ. You know what, I I spent too much time at at work. And it's hindering how I how I know Christ and how I I, I live for him. There's gonna come a moment in, in time and maybe it's already here where where you will have to decide what holds greater sway in your life. Things of this world, even though they're very serious and very important things. Or following Jesus. And last but not least, we see to, well, it's not pulling up, I'll just have to tell you is that he commands us to spiritually reproduce. There it goes. He commands us to spiritually reproduce. Look here, verse uh, 19. Not there, right here. In verse 19, he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So following Jesus means that we submit everything in your life to his lordship. So it means that we forsake all that he's forbidden, All right, we try to remove sin from our lives and we seek to do all that he's prescribed. So we don't do what he's told us not to do. We do do what he's told us to do. Just as Jesus was a fisher of men, calling them out, he his followers would soon become fishers of men. And this is essential part of being a disciple. And sadly, this is one we've we've kind of just uh we 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 we've kind of left out of the way. We 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 leave the reproducing part to the professionals. See, reproducing is not just something that only a few do. Only the, the, those that are serious about being a Christian. It's something that each of us does. To be a disciple means that you are to reproduce. There is no such thing as a non-reproducing Christian. Look here at what Jesus says in John 15.8. He says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit that you reproduce, that's what bearing fruit is, reproducing, so prove to be my disciples. So we prove that we are disciples by bearing much fruit. And how do we do this? Well, we do this through the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. To the end of the age. Now, what's interesting in these in these words is that is that baptizing and, and teaching are, are participles. Right? They're not verbs. They are they, they give force to. There's only to the one verb that is in this sentence, and that is make disciples. That's the key: is to make disciples. So, as followers of Christ, we are disciples, and we are called to reproduce. Luke 19, it says, The Son of Man came what? To seek and save the lost. So if we are to His disciples, that's going to be how we summarize our lives, our lives too. I was just, going to, just want to be real with you for a moment, just kind of have a, a family moment in time with us here at Central Baptist. You know, it's not uh, no secret that how we define uh, you know, the, the health of a church in, in our Southern Baptists is by, by baptisms, by those that have put their faith in Christ. And in 19, I think it was 83, is when the Southern Baptist Convention started seeing a decline in, in baptisms. Right? The entire time I've been alive, we've seen a, a steady decline of, of baptisms. And that tells us something. That means that we're not reaching people for Christ. And I've been looking even at, at our own church. And in the last decade or, or so, based on the numbers that we've reported, we've averaged between two and three baptisms a year. Two to three baptisms a year. Some years, we've had more. I'm going to be honest, there's been some years we've had zero baptisms. Uh, last year, we had one. And I don't know about you, and I hope you're on board, I'm not okay with that. That's not good. We can't sustain that as a church. And over this past year, this coming Sunday is my one-year anniversary of being here at Central Baptist. I've been trying to say, what can we do to, to help to overcome that? And i beginning, what can we do? I finally came to the point I realized that I've been asking the wrong question. It's not what can we do? So I think all of us here would realize would ask that say, what can we do? Maybe we need to you know what have a revival and let me tell you I'm not against uh, revivals I'm preaching one in my home church on Tuesday night. Maybe it's, you know, our Christmas cantata. If we can just invite enough people to come in and to hear the beautiful music and give a gospel presentation, then, then throngs of people will get saved. And look, I'm looking forward to our Christmas cantata. It's not about having block parties and seeing all kinds of kids coming to, coming to church. And I love, man, I get so excited about that. It's not about what we can do question that we have to ask ourselves is what am I going to do? Because one of the problems is of asking a collective, what are we going to do? It's, we tend that, yes, we need to do that. And so we start asking, alright, raise your hand. Who's, who's going to do it? But as we see here, to be a faithful disciple of Christ, you must reproduce. So the question we have to ask ourselves is what are What am I going to do? Look here, Robert Coleman wrote a great book, The Master Plan of Evangelism. He said this, When will the church learn its lesson? Preaching to the masses, although necessary, will never suffice in the work of preparing leaders for evangelism. Nor can occasional prayer meetings and training classes for Christian workers to do this job. And he's written material on training classes. But he said here, Individual Women and men are God's method. God's plan for discipleship is not something, but someone. You are God's method. I am God's method. And until we begin to internalize that and and live that out, we're always just going to be chasing the next big event, thinking, "What's the next thing that we can do to 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 make a big impact?" And so, like, I'm finding that those things just don't work like they used to. See, we want to see you to become this. This you. That's why we're having this. Who's your one emphasis? And I, I said that they, that you, you you buy into this here this, this morning over the next several weeks and, and months is that we commit to this, who's your one? Don't let it intimidate you. I know some of you are sitting there and you're kind of scared right now. Like, you mean he's telling me that I'm supposed to go share the gospel with somebody? I've, I've, never, I've never done that. And Look, I'm not here to beat you up, okay? I'm here to encourage you. You can do it because it's not you doing it, right? Because we live in the power of God. Right, he chose you, not because of how good you can speak, He chose you because He can work in you. See, disciple making, it's, it's this, it's just simply teaching somebody to follow Jesus as you follow Jesus, with the help of the Holy Spirit. Now for some of you, we need to do a better job of following Jesus, in here, I mean, we never arrived, okay? But we need to be living our lives in such a way, if we bring somebody alongside of us, then... And guess what? Jesus is going to kind of spill over. It's going to kind of work on, you know, they're going to see Jesus in us and they're going to want to be a part of that. And Jesus has promised to help you to do it. So the question, the thing is, God, give me one person that I could bring to Jesus. Maybe you're sitting there, you know, I don't know the specific name of that person. Pray that God would give you the name, but I have a sneaking suspicion that all of us know, at least somebody that needs Jesus. I mean, imagine if a church of two hundred and I don't fifty or so members. If we all took this on ourselves, just to get one person. Imagine, I mean, we we'd have to, to figure something out with our baptistry because we'd be using it too much. I, we'd break the thing. and right? That's all right. We'll buy a new one if, that, if that's the case. We'll go down to the river if we have to. But just having two to three baptisms a year is, is not what God has called us to do as a church. And it's not what God has called us to do as individual Christians. I mean, imagine what our church would look like. Imagine what this, the East End would look like. The city of Maysville would look like if we at Central Baptist Church, just our small little church here, would commit to reaching just one person for Jesus. Imagine what that would look like. I mean, that would, that would not just change our lives, but it would change the lives of so many more. So the question is, are you committed to reaching just One. At the beginning of the service, you received a little booklet. A little booklet. Um, a little booklet. Uh, it's a prayer guide. In fact, I left uh, mine down here. And inside of this prayer guide is a, is a bookmark. I want you to go ahead and take that out. Take that out. and On this bookmark, keep it somewhere where you, you'll see it. But there's a, a little tear-off. And it's a card. It says, Who's Your One? With a line on it. What we're going to do here a little bit later after we have our song of invitation is we're going to bring these cards up here and we're going to lay them on the altar. And we're going to pray over these cards this morning. And I'm asking you just to write down the name of that one person and I'm going to do it as well. Now you don't, maybe you don't even know the name of the person. Maybe it's a neighbor that you haven't even Introduce yourself to. Huh? Maybe it's somebody that's your best friend. Maybe it's even, not a family member of yours, it's not a, doesn't follow Jesus. I want you to write their name down on this card. And I'm going to call you, bring it up here. Yes, you know what, I'm asking a little bit of you, all right, to, to stand up and to come forward. But think about what Jesus did for us. We're able to, to live because he, he walked the path to Calvary to die for us. And I'm not telling you that you need to go home right now and pick up the phone and call them up and go through the Romans' road of salvation with them. All I'm asking you to do right now is to use this prayer book. There's just little prayers that take you, I don't know, two minutes to read through this paragraph. For the next 30 days, And to let the Holy Spirit to work in your hearts. To pray that God would give you the opportunity, that he would give you the words to say, that he would give you the courage to do it. To share the gospel with your one. And I want this to become so much more than just a a short little emphasis. I want this to kind of identify the culture of our church where we're always, hey, who's your one? In our Sunday school classes, before Sunday, I want you to be praying over your ones. All right, what we're going to do with these cards after we leave them up here at the altar and don't, um, last names, don't feel like you have to write the last name down. I should have said that. I don't want us to feel like we're, you know, I, I want to make this as least offensive to, to, to people as possible, but you know that person. And what we're going to do is I'm going to tape all of these up at, at the foyer in the back because I want that to be the first thing that we see when we come into the church is the names of people that we know that need Jesus. So that you'll be reminded. Because the, the trouble that we have often is, is we have something like this and we get, we get compelled and convicted to do it and then we, we go out here and we hit lunch and by the time we get to tomorrow, we've already forgot about it. <laughs> I'm going to do everything I can to help you to remind her. You're going to be hearing a lot from me, all right, on your one. And I want to be an encouragement because I'm a part of this. I'm going to do this along with you. Because, guys, eternity's at stake. People are dying and going to hell. Are you okay with that? And God has called us to come and follow him. Now here you, this morning, you may be here, and honestly, you may not be a disciple. Maybe you have not trusted in Christ. Here, this is the gospel, all right, real quick, is that God sent his son Jesus to come to this earth to live the life that you could not live. like you're a sinner. There's nothing that you could do to to be good enough to earn eternal life. So God sent his son Jesus to live the life you couldn't live, to die the death that you deserve so that you might have eternal life. To give your life to Christ, it's simple as just admitting your need for Jesus. Like, oh Jesus, God, I, I need you. I know that I am lost. God, I need you to to come and find me. We have to believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died on the cross that he rose from the dead. Believe in the gospel and we must commit our lives. We must fully submit ourselves to follow him, to be his disciple. Let me tell you, you're here this morning. God is working in your heart. Remember that he came and he chose you. He chose us, and He wants you to be with Him. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, thank You so much for Your Word. God, I pray that He would stir our hearts, our affections towards You, oh God, so that we might be like Jesus. God, I pray for those that are here that have yet to trust in Christ. I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. That in our time of singing, that they would just they would stand up and, and walk down this aisle and, and come to share with me their desire to follow Christ. God, I pray for all of us that, that you would give us the one person that we, need to, that we need to share the gospel with and that you would give us the desire, the passion, the yearning to reproduce. Ultimately, God, I pray that you would call us to follow you in everything that we think, say, or do. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. God is inviting you to be a part of this story he is writing throughout the ages to come. He is offering salvation to you today, which is your invitation to the rescue God offers. You can embrace the rescue of God by simply admitting your need to God, asking him to forgive you, trusting in Jesus alone to rescue you. And following Jesus Christ, the King of your life and faith from this day forward. If you would like to give your life to Jesus, go to God in prayer and confess your need for Him and that you choose to follow Him. If you have chosen to follow Jesus, please let us know. We want to continue to pray for you and to send you some resources to help you to grow in your faith. Well, I hope you enjoyed this sermon and I look forward to seeing you in person at one of our weekly services. Could you do me a favor? please like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash and share or comment on the things that we post because it helps others to hear about Jesus. God bless.